Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. In some episodes, we explore how to relate human design to other systems and teachings. In others, we look at human design as a personal experiment through the eyes of experienced teachers. Today's episode is one of the latter, where we were lucky to sit with one of our favorite people, Lynette Hagens. She's a professional analyst and teacher, as well as a living design guide and the administrator for the International Human Design School. Today, she tells us about her experience as a 6'2 ego manifester, bringing her natural humor, honesty, and wisdom. We talk about fractals, major life cycles, and the relationship between body and mind. She's someone we truly trust and enjoy, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. So, hey, Lynette, we're really happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. We thought we'd start by just introducing you a little bit. Both of us have had the pleasure of knowing you for a little while in a couple different realms, but I thought maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about what you do currently and how you work with human design and maybe how it came to you, how long you've been playing with this crazy world. (laughs) Okay, cool. I'd love to. Well, I am technically in the human design world. I am a human design analyst and teacher, and I teach um, some of the professional courses. And you guys are aware of that. Let's see. I first met human design in 2006. And it was just kind of one of those things where a girlfriend kind of mentioned it to me. It's funny. She was a manifester too. blah, 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 human design. And I was like, whoa, what did you, I mean, it really grabbed me cellularly, which it tends to do for many of us. And uh, I was like, wow, I have to find out more about that. So I looked it up. I love Hawaii. So I ended up getting a reading from someone in Maui, really great analyst. She did a really good job, sent it to me on a cassette, if you can believe that. (laughs) That's how old it is. And so, I mean, and I kind of played with it and I listened to it and it just, something was kind of missing. And so I got another reading again in 2009. And what had happened to me was, you know, I was right at my Uranus opposition. For those of you that are familiar with astrology, it's kind of like the midlife crisis when you kind of ask yourself, what the hell's going on? Am I climbing the wrong ladder? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And I was really hitting the wall. You know, I was in a 10-year relationship. I had a 10-year career in real estate. And it's not like anything was outwardly wrong, but inside I could feel that I just wasn't being myself or something wasn't authentic. And I had one of those come to Jesus, for lack of a better word, moments, one of those prayers that you have on the the bathroom floor, like, please, I need help here. Mm -hmm. And for me, yeah, I was literally taking a bath and I just had one of those super hard, like, please, I need some guidance. I need a teacher. I need somebody or something to show up because I feel really lost right now and I don't know why. And within, you know, a week or two, human design came back into my life and I got another reading And this time, the analyst barely said anything to me. (laughs) I think basically we were looking at my chart and he said something like, oh, well, but that's not you. Just those words and something shocked me out of my way of being. And I all of a sudden it hit me really hard. And I was like, "Okay, I oh, my God, this is amazing. And from then on, within three months, I, I left my my job real estate was falling apart then anyway, and a 10-year relationship that just wasn't working for for either of us. 
and I moved from California to Santa Cruz and slept on the floor of my kid's house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I have to tell the truth. That's what happened to me. It was, it was, um, you know, people say that the veil lifts for me, it's like the veil slammed and it slammed very hard. And I, it was like, I woke up the day after my reading, I, I've told this story, I'm sure you've heard it. The day after my reading, I was lying in bed. And before I even opened my eyes, you know, before realizing I was even consciously awake, I could see and hear, not audibly, but I could hear my mind for really the first time screaming at me, like, you can't do this. And I was like, oh, I get it now. I get it. I'm not my mind. I don't have to listen to this anymore. And then slowly I started dismantling all the things that were not, well, it wasn't slow. It was in within three months, I had pretty much lit a match to everything and, and moved on. And then from, from there, I ended up going to Kauai and studying with John Martin and my foundation course from him. And when people ask me, you know, how do you, how, how can I be a human design teacher and an analyst? I just kind of laughed because all you guys, I swear to you, it's not like I, I had in my head, like, I'm going to do this. All I knew is that my life wasn't working for me. And I just said, forget it. I'm not going to listen to my mind anymore. I'm going to use my authority, which is, you know, my ego authority. And I'm just mm -hmm. going to do what that says. And it's really common for my will to say one thing, my authority and my mind to say, that's ridiculous. So it was scary. And I had to do things that were very scary to me to where my family was like, what the hell are you doing? I've got three grown kids, you know, mm -hmm. but I just knew that I wanted to be an analyst to give readings. And that's all that I knew. And I was hoping I could work at home. And I kept saying, I want a job where I can work at home. And my kids were like, oh, good luck with that, mom. You know, <laughs> but I just kept saying that. And the way that this, this turned out, you know, I ended up initiating with, with Linda Bennell, who was the uh, director of the International Human Design School. And the first time I asked her, hey, you know, do you have any work? She said, no, I, gosh, I wish I could hire you, but I don't. Second time I asked her, she's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I might have something for you. And that's yeah. kind of how I became a teacher. And I got my analyst training because I was teaching and it, none of it was planned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. It's interesting the way you're talking about it because I've been thinking about what it's like for people when they first get a reading. And for some people, there's there's some kind of an immediate recognition or it leads to some kind of action or something. But it seems like for a lot of people, it might be similar to what you went through where something kind of goes in and then and then you kind of percolate with it for a little while. And it's almost like at some point a bomb goes off <laughs> inside of you and it's like, oh, wow, I'm getting what this is. And then things start shattering, <laughs> breaking, falling apart, disintegrating the things that don't work for us or the things that we can't not face anymore or something. See, it, it's happened for me that way in some ways. And I think it happens for a lot of people. It's almost like a bomb going off or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's like you see it. And when, when for me, like once you see it, there just reaches this point where you can't unsee it. Yeah. yeah. The, the phrase that comes to mind to me is you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's just no going back from there once you've seen it. 
like you guys are describing, it can be either a, a sudden process or something that's happening over time. And I think it happens over time regardless, but there are these different moments of either things completely collapsing, falling apart, or losing the points of reference that we've previously had as we start that deconditioning process. And the mind, you know, starts loosening its grip on the life to some degree. Which is so funny. You know, when I look at it too, when it's pretty funny because... You know, I'm a 6'2 profile. When I got that reading, I had exactly seven years and two weeks to prepare for my Chiron. I had one full seven-year cycle to get from my Uranus to my Chiron. It's like it came just in the nick of time. Because, you know, for anybody that's not aware of this, it takes a full seven years to cellularly decondition. And don't get excited because after seven years, you just keep going. (laughs) I think Ross said that's when you can actually kind of start to learn to walk. You know, we're just crawling until then, but you can kind of start to begin to start navigating your experience. Yeah. Well, maybe from there, can maybe you could share a little bit with us about the difference mm-hmm. in the experience of the Uranus opposition and the Chiron return for you. It sounds like it came at a really particular time in your life. And then you came in right at that seven year mark, just about you came into your Chiron return. Yeah. Uh, how was that? Mm-hmm. How was the difference between those cycles for you? Well, Let's put it this way. I can say it in, in a word as far as like the name of my Uranus opposition was called the left angle cross of upheaval. And it was freaking upheaval. From the moment it took hold, it was constant upheaval. And, you know, I, it takes a while. You don't just hit the, the date and all of a sudden you're there. It takes, you know, three and a half years in to kind of integrate into it and experience more of it. And in human design, Uranus opposition can last until, it lasts until we die, the effect of it. But you feel it more concentrated, I want to say, especially for like the first like three years. And it was just upheaval for me. I just, I basically let go of everything that wasn't working and started following my authority into my own life to see what was working, to see what would work. And, you know, when you're doing that, the authority can, can often guide you in a way that your mind absolutely thinks is just insane. And it's just, like I said, it's just scary because I held on to my strategy and authority like a lifeboat. My, my authority didn't say that. And my family would be like, are you insane right now? How can you possibly go and rent a place from a friend who, you know, was able to rent it to me when you don't have a job to pay the rent? Like, how can you do that? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know, but I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. How can and it's the same thing. It's like getting a job. I like like living in a in a one bed, like literally one room. And I was so happy, you know. And I didn't have any work. It's before I was working. And I started to apply for things. I'm like, well, I worked for a holistic veterinarian in Kauai. I can do that. So I applied for many jobs and a lot of the job interviews I got, I wouldn't even go on them because my mm. authority was like, no. I'm not somebody that's going to be super lazy and mooch off people all the time. I'm not like that, you know, so at least I didn't think I was. And then I applied for a job at a vet clinic because like I said that I had just done that. And I went in on my first day and kind of an affluent area. Think about it like she, she people with their pets that are sick and they all have an attitude. I mean, you can kind of imagine what it's like to all of you pet owners out there. I love you. No offense, but I mean, when your pet's sick, 
I get it. And then, so I was dealing with all this stuff, a computer program I didn't know how to work. The girls wouldn't train me. Nobody would train me. Everybody was in a bad mood because one of the doctors had quit. And I sat there for about no more than 30 minutes or so. And I literally watched myself. I watched myself get up out of the chair and walk out the door. And as I was walking out the door, I turned around and I looked at the receptionist and I said, please have the doctor call me. And I went home and I cried for like three days. Like, you idiot, you know, why didn't you just keep the job until you had another job? You didn't have to quit, Lynette, but I had to quit. And long story short, I guess it's too late for that. That's when I had eventually got to meet Linda Bunnell and I ended up getting the job for my analyst training. But I really want people to understand that in the beginning, it's scary. It's scary until you can really start to trust your authority. And it's still scary but not in the same way. And after you go through a few decisions that seem really significant for you, like quitting your job or taking a new job or leaving a relationship or moving, big decisions, you know, when you go through a few of those and you trust it anyway, even though it doesn't make sense, over time you start to begin to trust it more and more because you can see that it works. I can really relate to that. I can remember in the early years feeling like kind of like what you're saying, there were things that I could see and I couldn't unsee them. And that got louder over time, the, the awareness that I was having. But I was still, my mind still had a little bit of a thought of like, well, I can still keep some control over some <laughs> of these things. Or maybe these little, I can, mm -hmm. I can manage to kind of worm my way through and, and know what I know, but still think that I can kind of be in control. But then at some point, the rubber meets the road and you're going to be faced with some sort of a choice point where you have that experience. I think like you're describing where your mind's saying one thing and your authority or your body is saying something else and you're just going to have to let go and take the leap and find the courage to follow this other thing. And then like you're saying, you do that enough, you, you start to be able to trust something else. I mean, the feeling I have when you're talking is almost like, like something else starts to pull you along through yes, life. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. It's that magnetic monopole, I guess. That yeah. magnet that only attracts, that pulls us along. And it's funny, my mind still thinks that, Amy. My mind still thinks it's got, it's going to have control. I still watch it, and it still does that. Yeah. And that's okay, but it's just not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From my experience, I just, it's just not to just let it be. You know, in the beginning, there was a real, for me, I had to do the warrior's path thing. I had to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed to do, I guess. And then it, that did soften for me over a while, after a while. It's, it's not like hating your mind in the long run doesn't really work. It doesn't help. It's a part of us. It's brilliant. It's got amazing, amazing things that it can do and reflect on in perspective, you know, and for you as a mental projector and John, John, yourself, are you an ego projector? Is that right? I'm an ego projector. Right. Okay. And Amy's a, a mental projector. So it's like, I mean, you get that, but in the beginning, I, I couldn't even go in there. You guys, I couldn't even go into my head to look for things because I had to stick to what I was doing. It's not like that now so much, but that was just my process. It's interesting to think about this question of control from the point of view of the ego will-based authority. I, we both share that. And, you know, I have gate 21 find there too. And so what I'm kind of thinking about or wondering about is 
the sense of control that comes from your will committing to something, wanting something and seeing that through versus the mind trying to control things and trying to, to control the life. Do you have a sense of that in, in your experience when you're working with the ego as an authority? Yeah, it's feeling into it over time. What's the easiest way to say this? I'm, well, first of all, I can tell when my voice if I'm saying something and it sounds like this and it's strong and it's just hitting, you know, it's got a, I've got a, I'm an ego manifester. I've got a punch to my voice. Mm -hmm. It's intense a bit. If it's like that, I know it's true. So that's why talking out loud can help me if I'm just saying something. And if I talk and it sounds like that at the same time I'm talking, I can feel into my body while I'm talking and I can, I can sense that's hitting. Okay. But if I get butterflies in my stomach or maybe my voice goes up a couple octaves, it's not the right time. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just timing. Mm -hmm. It's just timing. And, you know, I've had to, like in the beginning when I was, um, here's an example. In the beginning when I got the job as school administrator, not long after, Linda came to me and she said, would you like to teach? And I was like, yeah, really? I could be a teacher? Like, I thought I could be a teacher like years on down the road, but I can, I can do that. She's like, well, you know, you've taken the class like three times. I think you could probably teach it. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, let me just go through my process. And I kind of went through my process and it just wasn't there. I would, I would talk it out and I was, the timing wasn't right. So I had to tell her no. And of course, again, I cried for three days and it was like, you idiot, you can't say no. This is career suicide. Why would you say no to this? But I had to say no. And she laughed at me and she said, don't worry about it. I'll ask you again. The timing's just not right. Thank God for Linda Bunnell. So she did ask me again. And the second time I didn't have all that. I was still nervous, but my E was hitting, my authority was hitting and it was the right time and I did it. So that's kind of my process. And the other thing is, it's also just what you do. It's what you do. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a cup of tea before class. My mind says, Oh, I really want that organic tea from Kauai. That's GMO free. Da, 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 da. In my mind, I'm like, and then I go up to my tea cabinet, which is expensive because I have an open spleen and I'm into all sorts of herbal remedies. And I reach for a completely different cup of tea with my hand. You know, I don't override that. I'm like, oh, I guess my body wants some caffeine. I don't override it anymore. I want to go for a walk. Do I want to go for a walk if I leave the house? Sometimes I'll go for a drive instead. Sometimes I'll go for a walk and my mind will say, well, if we turn right, we'll go to the pier. Let's go to the pier. Let's go to the pier. And sometimes when I get to the end of the path, I turn left. So it's also just seeing what my body's doing too. What's hitting, what's not hitting. If I feel angry, as a manifester, mm -hmm. that took a long time mm -hmm. to really own that. If I start to feel angry, the first thing I have to do is I have let myself feel it. And then, you know, I kind of ask myself, is there someone I need to inform, which is my strategy? Do I need to let somebody know something that's pissing me off? 90% of the time I'm angry because it's a story in my head. And that being the case, then I just need to drop the story. You know, so do I need to inform or not? So there are many different clues, but, you know, when I do a reading for people, I lead with, you know, if I could tell you only one thing in this reading, the first thing I would tell you and the most important thing is that you're not your mind. Mm -hmm. I lead with that. You've got to get that out of the way. And then I kind of say, it's not about hating your mind. Your mind is beautiful, but it's not your friend when it comes to telling you what to do and all sorts of other stuff. We live in a program, but you know, and it'd be, you can start off by telling people 
you know, we're not in control and all that stuff, but it doesn't work. You guys, you guys know this. It's like, yeah, it's like, and I I don't like to be the dasher of dreams anyway. Well, that's not true. Sometimes I do, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's just understanding that it's okay. We, you know, it's just, it talks, it, it does what it does. And, and I have this other thing in me where I can make a decision. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. Okay. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to first just encounter the concept of being a manifester when that, when that first came to you, or maybe it came to you in waves, what was your reaction to that when you first heard it? And then how, I knew, how did you process that? I knew it was true. First of all, mm-hmm. I knew it was true. And my girlfriend said to me, she's a manifester, much more of a manifester than I am. Like a really just, you know, and she says to me, no, no, no. You're one of those generator types. You like to do things to have people bring it to you and do it. She's like, you, that's like who you are. I'm like, no, but that's not right. I knew inside of me, it wasn't right. And that I was a manifester before I even ran my birth data. I just knew it. And I ran my birthday and I confirmed it. And then I thought, well, I'm just the worst manifester in the world, you know? <sighs> and I still often, I still think that all the time because there, there's a misconception out there that if you are a manifester, that you are always initiating mm. all the time. And it's one of the first things that I asked that I asked Ra when he was alive, he was, um, he was on Facebook and he was really generous with me. Mm. And I emailed him and I'm like, dude, you got to help me. I've given up everything for this. You have to help me. (laughs) I said, (laughs) I'm like, look, you know, people keep telling me I'm not initiating. I'm not informing enough. I need to be, I need to be initiating all the time. And I, and it doesn't feel right to me. It feels really mental. Like, I'm, I don't want to initiate all, all these things right now. And he said to me, he said, it sounds to me as if you're being correct. He said, you have to listen to what you say. That's what he said. What you say out loud with your voice spontaneously, not like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast with Amy and John. So I'm going to say all these really cool things that make me look smart. This shit never works. So, <laughs> you know, just, just listen to what flows out of you spontaneously. I was like, okay. So I started doing that. And in the beginning, when I started talking and just blah, 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 I was living with my daughter at the time. I would say things and I would feel the power come out of my voice, but I wouldn't hear what I said. Mm-hmm. And Ra thought that was so funny. I told him and he, he laughed and he said, you know, that's so funny. That's really cute. Just stay with it. And eventually your mind will get over its jealousy. You know, Mm. so it's like, I literally couldn't hear what I, and I would look at my daughter and it would usually be so intense. Like people would be standing there with their mouths open. I go, what did I just say? And she said, you said, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, and that lasted a couple of weeks. So then that went away. And, and I started to see that the thing about being a manifester is we don't have to wait for other people to initiate, but we do need to be moved by our authority. Mm-hmm. So I don't initiate when I'm being correct. I don't initiate what I think I think I want. Mm-hmm. I have to be moved on my authority. And you have, you know what? I, I encourage any manifester out there, play with it. Treat it like an experiment. A few years ago, I had somebody telling me, you know, you're not informing enough. You need to be doing podcasts. Why don't you have a newsletter? You need to be doing YouTube videos. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that shit. 
Okay. I have no, and that felt really true, but they kept at me and I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to experiment with this to see if I'm wrong. So I sent out a newsletter for the first time and I advertised an LYD course and I did an LYD and you guys, I hated every minute of it. I hated it. So what I really do see is that I initiate things, but it's not necessarily what everybody else thinks I should be initiating. You know, and the other thing is, too, I'm three parts right in my variable. I've got a lot of stuff about waiting in my nodes. I mean, it's just it's that. So the manifester does initiate. But for me, it's really it's got to be by my will. And the other thing is every you have to kind of think of it like this. Since the whole world is conditioned through no fault of their own to be manifestors and go out in the world and make it happen. You know, we're all kind of raised like that. Everybody around me is, for lack of a better word, a better not self-manifester than I'm a manifester, you know? And it just gets to be like, it's not easy. Let's put it that way. It's not easy to live this design. It's very self-contained. The aura is repelling. A lot of people hear the word repulsive. I did not say repulsive. It's repelling. And all that means is that it pushes back and we can make people uncomfortable. I can meet somebody and, and within 30 seconds, they can decide that they can't stand me and they don't like me. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. And after a while, you learn that, you know, you don't have to overcompensate and be friendly all the time. You can just be yourself and the people that are there for you are the right people. Because, yeah, we're, we're thought of as this huge, this super powerful being, and we are, but everybody's powerful and we're just powerful in different ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you see it as being really different as a woman, as a woman manifesting? You know, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a man, obviously. So I can only speak from my perspective, but just basically in that women are classically more nurturing and more yin mm -hmm. than men. Yeah. It's a very masculine design. And I've had, I've had a couple of times in my experience over the years where I'll just be sitting alone in my room. This is so weird. And I can't explain it, but all of a sudden I'll feel so yang, so masculine. Like I will feel this power like within my whole body. And I'll be like, holy crap. I've literally had to go up and look in a mirror just to make sure that I'm still five foot two and I still have blonde hair and I'm still a girl. I mean, it's that, and I'm not kidding. It's that intense. Sometimes you can really feel it. It's just this fire and we're born with this fire. And the problem is the dilemma is parents immediately encounter the manifester child as unpredictable. What's the story Ross says? Uh Oh, in the delivery room. Uh Oh, one of those, we better control it. And you get over controlled and the fire gets doused. And so what we really want to do as parents of manifestors is keep that fire alive because it's really hard to start a fire when all you've got is a flickering ember. Yeah. I'm still doing it. I've built it up to a little flame, but it's kind of withering, but it's, it's not a big roaring fire yet. I'm still stepping into it. It takes yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I need, I need a few more lifetimes. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a long road, but I, I appreciate the way you're talking about it because obviously we live in a culture that's so 
instant gratification focused. And there are certainly a lot of other types of systems or programs that are easier to sell than human design in that way. But it certainly seems to me like the truth of it is it's a long, slow time and space based process. It is. And things happen suddenly and and explode suddenly in certain ways sometimes. But but overall, it's a long process to get back to ourselves and and then live that out in this crazy material world we live in. It is. And why would you want to do that anyway? My mind doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been times when I've been like, oh, please, God, just give me the blue pill. I forget it. I don't want, I'm going to throw my computer at the wall. I don't want the red pill anymore. Give me the blue pill. You can't, you guys know how it is. Once you reach a certain point, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't go back. It's like, um, there's this term by this author, Cormac McCarthy. I love this term, post-uterine gestation. It's macabre, like being born outside of the body, but only being partially formed. You know, how, that's kind of macabre. I'm sorry, it's gross. But it, that's why it, it's like you have to keep going. Once you reach a certain point, it's not time to sit back and go, I'm going to kind of follow my strategy and authority. Like Ross said, you can't be half pregnant, right? When it comes to waiting and following your strategy and authority. And it's like, you have to keep going. Yeah. You have to keep going because it's never ending. It's not like all of a sudden you get there. It's constant deconditioning. This is my perspective, okay? Constant deconditioning. And after a while, you really, you start to see that, wow, I'm not doing anything because there, there is no Lynette. There's no I. There's, you know, you can get into that whole discussion. And you can't sell it, Amy. You're right, Amy. You can't sell this. <laughs> Who wants to buy that? Yeah, it's true. It's a funny business to be in. It really is. Cause it's, it's a, and it is, it's still a business. And sometimes people will say, well, I think it should be free because of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, fine. Bye. You know, I don't care because I'm charging money today. You know, this is what I'm charging right now for the bargain. Doesn't mean it won't be free tomorrow, but yeah. Did you have something you wanted to say, John? Kind of touching on this phenomenon that we see this manifest your own reality or create the life that you want. And as you guys are saying, that is often a, a lot easier to market or sell to people versus any version of no choice or surrender or your life may fall apart if you go through this process. Do you just see that as manifest or conditioning in our society that from a young age, we're just pushed in that direction across the board? Or in some cases, we're talking about manifestors who were then conditioned to to respond or be generators, and then they stop manifesting or the fire is snuffed out on a certain level. How do you see that from, from the point of view of being a manifester and you were saying that, hey, the grass isn't necessarily greener. This is not an easy design to have, and it may not work like you think it works. Right. Well, the grass isn't greener and there is no grass. All we've got is ourselves. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, Everybody wants what we're, we're genetically predisposed to want what we're not. doesn't matter who we are. So there's that. And the grass isn't always greener. I mean, it's a great phrase and I know exactly what it means and everybody will relate to that. But my suggestion, anybody that wants really feels drawn to this. And first of all, it's like with, with marketing and, you know, people think they have to sell it and treat it like an experiment is usually my suggestion. And don't worry because the more you go through this, you just get your fractal. You get the right people. It's the weirdest shit. You guys, in the last two weeks, I've gotten three reflector readings. 
I never get reflector readings. Maybe once every six months, maybe. I've gotten three of them. I get all, all the people on my nodal lines, the two fours, you know, I get, I'll look at my uh, returns. I mean, you just can start to see you get the right people. What I like to tell people with this whole, you know, manifest your own reality and everything, because it's like, you can't even, telling people that you have no choice, fine. You know, I, everybody's got a different way of doing this. And what I like to say to people is, look, if you want to have a vision board and you want to have goals and you want, there are things that you want, you want to write in your journal, you want to do a new moon thing, you know, something like that, and you write it all down, that's fine. But if you want to experiment with your design, be willing to let all of that stuff go, follow your strategy and authority and see what happens. Give it some time to really start to see what happens if you're a generator and you don't pick up the phone to call your friend. What's going to happen? Is your friend going to call you? Is the phone going to ring? Can you respond to the ring? Or maybe they won't call you and they'll fall away and that relationship will go away and somebody else will take its place. And, and you can treat it like an experiment. You know, rather than absolutes, like, that's not going to work. It's choiceless. It's like, I don't, you know what? You guys know me. I always say, I don't even know how my blender works. So we can talk about human design from that standpoint. But otherwise, if people really want to try it, all you have to do is follow your strategy and authority to experiment with it. And Ross said, my, one of my favorite quotes from Raw is that strategy and authority is like a parlor trick which is so funny if you think about it. it get, it's what really, it's just happening anyway. And without the distraction of the mind constantly having us look somewhere else and go here and do this and that, it just kind of takes over anyway. And it gives you something to focus on while you're going through it. And then you can see over time, it's a process. Yeah, the, the whole the manifester thing and manifest your own reality. I mean, I've done that. I've played with that on my own. I've written in my journal, I'd like this, that, that, and that. And then I kind of laugh and follow my strategy and authority. And many of the things that I've written have come true in detail. Mm. And how did I get there? I just followed my strategy and authority and let it happen. I didn't do it. You know what I mean? With my mind where I said, I'm going to do this where I set out to do it. I don't operate that way. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I probably just just dashed like ninety percent of your face. <laughs> <anyways>, so <laughs> it's good to. I think it's good to hear it in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah. Before we moved on, I, I did want to look yeah. or talk a little bit more about this concept of the fractal that we touched on. I've seen it too, the way you describe it, Lynette, where there would be certain patterns like design patterns that show up in sessions and I'll start getting say a bunch of 2034s for a while or uh, a certain profile for a while. So I've seen it that way. And I'm definitely seeing that some of the nodal connections that you mentioned and the people who come across my path. But the other interesting thing I've seen is like my mind will start thinking that, well, you don't have any sessions booked this week or it's getting really quiet. How are you going to address that? And what do you need to do something about that? And what I've seen is if I just watch that, let go of the idea that there's anything to be done there, that there's this natural ebb and flow to how busy I am in my life and how many sessions that I could even handle that week with everything else going on. And it just takes care of itself. It's like, I don't even know how it works. Like you're saying the blender, I don't know how that actually works, but 
the sessions and the people show up and I have no control over it. And my mind goes a little bit crazy when I think to the future, like, what if it, I don't get one for six months? Well, it never happens. It, it, they just come when they come and the right people show up. And it's just amazing to kind of watch it from that point of view and just release any illusions of control or I'm actually doing any of this. It's, it's such a trip. It's yeah. fun, hasn't it? It gets, yeah. it can be very fun too. So for, yeah, for anybody that's listening that feels like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. These people sound crazy. <laughs> Everybody's process is different. It doesn't mean you're going to light your life on fire like I did. It might be, you know, in fact, I wouldn't recommend that anybody do anything in the beginning. It's just what happened to me, you know, but yeah, it's like, it is fun and it's beautiful when you, when you can really see, sit back and just, just understand, like John was saying, Life is happening all the time. And, and human beings, we're so vain. We think, my God, we're, we're so self-important. Like, we've got to be doing something all the time. Because if we don't, we won't have this or this or this. Oh, my God, there's no toilet paper on the shelves. Seriously, it's, it's going to be okay. Just, God, just sit back and, and let it go. And, and even as I say that, it's so funny because what you're doing is you're asking the thing that you need to let go of to help you let go of it. <laughs> Like you're asking your mind to let go. It's like it doesn't work that way. So it, it's, a, it's sitting back from a, an observation standpoint, and it's a process. You know, I tell my students, I'm pretty sure I probably told you guys this. I don't know. I mean, I, li I live in a constant state of confusion. And I finally just, just came to the point where I was like, wow, I'm really confused all the time. And you know what? That's not a problem. I'm scared all the time. I'm the biggest baby in the world. I'm not a brave person at all. Now, my design side has determination. It's, it's definitely very, you know, ballsy and brave, but, but I'm a big, scary, mushy teddy bear. I'm, I'm a big chicken. I don't like to take chances. I don't like to, to take chances on the material plane. But if my authority says to do it, I do it, and it always works out way better than I could have imagined. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a big realization for working with this system. When those moments would happen where if I just let go, or I, I call my mind the crazy lady in the attic, <laughs> very active mind. she's never going to shut up. And every once in a while, she's said something cool to somebody, but she rarely says anything cool to me. <laughs> and, and so that, that's kind of always going there. But the moments when, when I've been able to just relax, let her say whatever she's saying, just sit back and wait, like you guys are talking about, see what shows up and then discover like, God, I never... I never would have gone after that. I never would have thought that this would show up in this way. And now this whole thing is happening. And I mean, I feel like I'm in a constant state of like, how did I get here? <laughs> where, where am I now? How did I get here? Yeah, Amy, I say that all the time. Like, oh my God, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did I get from there to here? And I'm looking at my Chiron. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I couldn't have made this up. No, <laughs> could not, could not have constructed this, could not no. have played, written this out. So can you tell us about the Chiron? Well, anytime you go through these like Saturn, Uranus, Chiron, they can all be a bit of upheaval, even if that's not the cross name. And it's the same thing with the Chiron. It takes a few years to land. So my Chiron date was in 2016 okay. and it's been four years. I can feel something shifting, but what happened for me is I ended up in a relationship 
which is crazy for me because I was alone for 10 years. I was finally like, you know what? I'm just kind of sort of over it. If, if I get to be in a relationship again, great. But I certainly wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody that it's funny, if I, if I look at my partners, we're the same age. We went to school together. We've known each other for like since like, I don't know, before high school. His design sun earth are my Chiron nodes and my design sun earth are his Chiron. I mean, you can't, you can't make this shit up. It's like, it's perfect. And we're both manifestors. He's a two, four. It's like, and the whole time I was like, I can't date this person. I don't, I'm not even interested in this person, but my authority was pushing me and I kept showing up for him and I was laughing. I'm like, this is so funny. I'm not interested at all, but apparently something inside of me is interested. You know, so it's like, it's the same thing. You just trust it. It gets really amazing. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm entering a really interesting time of my life and I can feel something about to shift on the precipice. I don't know if it's moving. I don't know if it's some kind of expansion or contraction. I don't know what's going on. It feels really good. It's, it's scary. And it's kind of like on the edge there. And you guys know, you guys both are pure individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like kind of like being on the, on the cliff, you know, the tarot card, the fool with the little doggy about to walk off the cliff, just, you know, blithely looking ahead and singing and not even realizing you're going to walk off a cliff. It kind of feels like that. Lynette, do you relate to the coming off the roof with the Chiron return in your experience? Yeah. The protective quality leaves as, as a six line being, you, I could, it was palpable. I could feel it going away and it was scary to me because I had seen my next door neighbor when I lived like one street over from where I live now was a six, two, not into human design at all. Just about five years older than me and died very quickly, got cancer of the throat and just, it just took him down and he just went out and I've seen six twos and um, six line beings hit their chiron and get really sick and die. I've seen it, you know? So I was nervous about that anyway. Raw kind of scared the hell out of us. And I can really just feel it. But, you know, we've got the best umbrella for the weather. You follow your strategy and authority and it kind of, it comes together. So, yeah, I could definitely feel that being back in a different way. And it just feels like you're in it all of a sudden in a different way. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like when you go up on the roof, you can still be in the world and do things and be, make money and talk to people. It's not like all of a sudden you're a hermit or something like that, but it's, the same, but it's not the same. The feeling is just being way more involved in what I'm doing. It's more close up and more focused rather than a blurry background, I guess. Yeah. Hard to explain. I have a lot of six line friends and, I, and I've sometimes described it as like that middle phase of life can feel almost like being behind a pane of glass. Yes. Like you might still be, you're still interacting. Maybe you're still working, you're still doing whatever you're doing, but it's almost like some part of you is behind a pane of glass and you're seeing everything, it's not quite direct in the same way. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, a pane of glass, Amy, because it's like it's a visibility. It's almost like more people can see me now, too. Mm-hmm. It's something, you're just more, you're more down and dirty in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good way to put it. Maybe just as we're finishing up here, I'm wondering about now, it's obviously you're doing readings, you're teaching, you're deeply involved with the international organization. What do you, what do you love about teaching or what's different for you now that you've been in the, you know, moved from the realm of your own experiment, which is always going on. And then 
being an analyst and working with individuals and then moving into this realm of teaching and working with groups more. Is there a big difference for you between those different things or is it like you're just, you are where you are? I mean, I am where I am. There, there is that aspect always, but what I realized, and I mean, there are always times when you're like, oh, I don't want to teach a class. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this stupid thing. I mean, of course, you know, mm -hmm. but what I notice, what I love about teaching and I, you know, I do everything online. I don't like to meet people in person for classes or readings. I just don't, I'm a, I'm a hermit and I don't like doing it. Mm -hmm. um, what I notice about teaching that I love is that my day-to-day -day life with people, my family, people around me, my partner, for the most part, they don't give a, they don't give a crap about human design and I'll talk about it. I'm like, you know, to my boyfriend, well, if, if I'm going to listen to you talk about all this shit, you got to listen to me once in a while. So, you know, we support each other, but it's like, they don't get it. Half of them just think I'm nuts anyway. And when I get to, to meet with students and other people that are, that are, for God, God help them. They're trying to do the same thing like you guys. I know it's not easy to live like this. It's like Ross said, he's like, I have so much respect for my students because I know what you guys give up. And I know how hard this is. And when you get to talk to somebody else like that in a class or even right now with you guys, it's kind of like standing on a rock and waving, hey, you guys, how are you? I'm doing the thing. Are you doing it too? <clears throat> you know, it's really hard, isn't it? But it's, isn't it fun? Do you see what I see? Isn't it crazy? Everybody's asleep. Wow. Look at all the people that are sleepwalking. I'm not asleep and neither are you. Isn't it cool? You know, there's that little aspect of it. <clears throat> I mean, half the time I am asleep probably, but... I love that. And I also love to, to just kind of think about when I'm, when I'm talking to people, it's like, wow, there's not really even a Lynette and there's, there's not really even an Amy and a John and we are all connected in this field. And it's almost like hearing ourselves talk and the differentiated potentials that we have that we can share with each other. And it's just, for me, that's such a beautiful experience that I can't share with somebody else on that level. It's different. It's just different. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And sometimes I think that I'm just teaching these classes just to teach myself. You know, I don't, I don't really look at myself as a teacher. It's more like I show up and as a manifester and we're just teaching each other. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. It's really moving to me. I really feel that. What you're describing is making me think of Ra talking about communing. Yeah. Like, this possibility that we could actually commune and just exactly what you're saying. Like, Oh my God, isn't it amazing? Mm -hmm. we're, we're all here together right now. And right can, now. Yeah. And we, we kind of, we can understand and, this wow. language. And then it really helps me in my day to day life to let people off the hook. Like, mm -hmm. wow, that guy over there is just going to, you know, sit in his car in the, in the middle of the intersection and not move. Like I want to kill that guy right now. Maybe <laughs> the guy had a really bad day. You know, or it, you, you're talking to somebody, you're like, wow, that opinion's really whack. That person's, I don't like them at all. But hey, you know what? Maybe that's their perspective. How do I know? It helps mm -hmm. you let people off the hook in your day-to-day -day life too. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. yeah, it's a trip. Doing what we do is, <laughs> it, it's, how do you explain it to another person? You know, how do you explain it? I don't even know. I know. Well, we say it all the time. We're like, this is a weird job. <laughs> this is a really weird job. <laughs> it's pretty strange. But oh. it, and sometimes it's really hard, but it's also just really beautiful and, and such a trip and so yeah. interesting. 
so interesting. And you know what? The one thing that I prayed for when I had that really big prayer before I found human design again was I wanted something true. Give me something true. That was the word that I used. And that's for me, that's what it is. It's true. It's self-verifiable. Yeah. Yeah. I think our desire for the truth has to be stronger than our desire for comfort. And that probably applies to a lot of situations in, in the world right now, but certainly to human design. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's been my, exactly what you're saying. It's, that's true for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Schutzbra. Cool. Cool beans. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I just love and appreciate your particular energy and the, just the way you share what you have to say. And it impacts me in a way that feels just really moving and and sweet and and powerful. And See, that's exactly what I mean. Nobody else is going to say that to me today, Amy. I guarantee it. <laughs> Nobody's going to say that to me all year, you know? <laughs> I feel the same way about you guys. I love what you guys are doing. I love seeing what you guys are doing on social media, and I hope that it continues and getting it out there. We need projectors. We need you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun and it's it's been great to have you on the podcast. You're one of my top favorite teachers by far and yeah, it's been it's been really nice to go through this process with you. So, thank Good. You. My pleasure. Right back at you, JC. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Okay, guys, keep it up. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel. 